0: If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Matthew, again, chapter 7? It would be page 883 in the Pew Bible, or you can read along with us here in the praise bulletin, which you might enjoy doing. Matthew chapter 7 is part of the Sermon on the Mount which starts in Matthew chapter 5 and runs all the way through chapter 7. Jesus at that time is about 30, 31 years old. He's been in the ministry a little over a year. The 12 disciples have been chosen. And prior to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has traveled throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and he went and healed all manner of sickness and all kinds of diseases amongst the people. And because of that, or as a result of that, his fame had just spread uh, throughout all of Syria, and and, and people came from Galilee on Decapolis, which is 10 cities, and they came from Jerusalem and Judea, and even from beyond the border. And the Bible said that he, had a great multitude was following them. And in the Greek, that word great means a huge multitude. They were just mesmerized by Jesus. I mean, they'd never seen anything like this. That was a time in society when a lot of rebels cropped up. They would come on the scene and they would espouse, you know, a a revolting against Rome and so on and so forth. But here was this man called Jesus. And he not only taught with such authority and such wisdom and understanding, but he went about healing the sick. He did things that, and they just they just followed him. And as Jesus saw this great multitude being the teacher that he was, he went up on the mount. And the people gathered below him, And he sat down, and he was going to begin to teach them. Now, in Matthew chapter 5, it says, His disciples came to him. In the Greek, that word disciple means follower. And given the multitude of people, it was more than just the 12. And the Bible said that Jesus opened his mouth, and he began to teach them. And that was the start of the Sermon on the Mount. And many times, people who read or hear about the Sermon on the Mount mistakenly think it's a teaching of a lot of do's and don'ts. And yet nothing could be farther from the truth. See, a little over 1,500 years ago, before this incident took place, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And not only the Ten Commandments, but he had the civil and the moral and the dietary laws that were given to the people. But the problem was, although the people had the law of Moses and they had the dietary and civil and the moral law, wicked rulers, wicked religious rulers had come along and perverted the things of God. And they were using the law of Moses and the religious laws to control the people and to use the people for their own gain. That's one of the reasons why Jesus drove them out of the temple. And in matter of fact, in in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus talks about people who seem godly, but aren't. And so the Sermon on the Mount is really Jesus Jesus wanting the people to know that there was hope. A change was about to take place. And that's what Jesus brings, hope. Do you remember, I think it's over in Luke chapter 4, I think it is, when Jesus went to the synagogue and... There he went ahead and they gave him the scroll. And he opened it up and began to read. And he said, this, and it was the prophesy that Isaiah had given about the Messiah. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. And he went on and said some other things. But the word gospel originally meant a reward because of good news. But later on, the idea of the reward was dropped, and it just meant good tidings. And Jesus, when he read that out of the book of Isaiah, said, Today this scripture is fulfilled. Jesus came to bring us good tidings of the kingdom of God. Through salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation based upon faith and what Jesus did for us through His death and His, His His uh, burial and His resurrection and His ascension. And Jesus wanted them to know that there was change coming. There was hope. They were going from a system of serving God that was based upon what they did to put them in right standing with God to an age of grace or a messianic age. The age when the Messiah were coming. They were going from a time in their life when their whole relationship with God was based upon what they did to an era of grace. That's what we're in today. Grace, God's grace. God, let, me, let me put it this way. I heard a minister say this one time. God's grace is God's hand reaching out to us, filled with all the good things God had for us that pertain to life and our relationship with Him. Let me say that again. God's grace is God's hand reaching out to us, filled with all the good things that God has for us that pertains to our life and our relationship with Him. We don't deserve it. We, have, we can't earn it. He just gives it to us. And the people were going from a time in their life when the things they did determined whether or not they had right standing with God to a system where their right standing with God was going to be based upon simply faith. Their faith. Their faith that Jesus' death and and, and burial and resurrection was enough to satisfy the, the demands of a righteous God and the requirements of heaven. And because of that faith, people who believed in that they would be declared in right standing with God by God himself. He would declare them justified. That's good news. That's good news if you're coming from a, from a, from a uh, an era when you had to bring sacrifices for your sins and those sins weren't forgiven. They were just pushed forward a year and every year there was remembrance of that. And so the Sermon on the Mount is a guide of the principles of the kingdom of God. The Sermon on the Mount deals with the condition of the heart. See, it's, an ex- it's expected by God, and you can find this in the Bible, but it's expected of a Christian who has been saved by God's grace to live a life led by the Holy Spirit that dwells within him. That's what Jesus said. And the prophecies. And the good deeds that Christians does in life are not because he wants to have favor with God. If that's why we come to church, if that's why we put money in the offering, if that's why any good deed, the good deeds that Christians do are because the Holy Spirit lives within him and the Christian has a changed heart. And thus a changed heart Means a change in what we do and how we act. I can vouch for that. Before I came to know the Lord, you wouldn't have wanted to know me. I didn't like people. But as God changed my heart, my actions changed. And in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24, where I'm going to read, this is the closing of the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to read it from Eugene Peterson's translation, which is called The Message. These words I speak to you, now this is Jesus speaking. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Homeowner improvements to your standard of living. These are foundational words. Words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down. The river flooded. A tornado hit. But nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you are like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. When Jesus concluded his address, the crowd burst into applause. They had never heard teaching like this. It was apparent that he was living everything he was saying. Quite a contrast to their religious leaders. This was the best teaching they had ever heard. Jesus shows by this parable that just hearing the sayings of Christ, just reading the Bible will not make us happy or protect us from the full force of storms that often assail us. And we are going to have storms in life, church. Listen, Christianity is is not a weatherproof bunker that keeps us from ever having storms or feeling their effects. It's not. And in this, this parable, there's two types of buildings, probably both the same. And when the sun was shining, both houses looked good. But when adversity came... And the storms of life come, one withstands the storm and the other is destroyed. And I love Jesus's description of the storm. He, in the New King James Version, he talks about the rain descending. Well, rain is made up of little raindrops. And to me, that could represent the little things that just keep coming at us throughout the day, day after day. Things like you wake up in the morning and you go into the restroom and bathroom and you stub your little toe on the corner of something and and then you get in there and and the toothpaste comes all out of the side and things just begin to add up and then he said the floods came and this is when the little things in our life begin to add up and to take their toll. And if we're not careful they can wash us away by the consistency with which they pile up and And how they build up in our life. We see that a lot in marriages. Two couples, a little something bothers them here and something bothers them here. It just keeps building up until one day, boom! Somebody just loses their temper and explodes. And then the winds blew. These are the bigger things in life that that just come up unexpectedly and many times they threaten our life and our livelihood and our relationship not only with God but with others. And we can be overwhelmed by all the problems that life throws at us. Hence, Jesus said the house fell and great was its fall. And Eugene Peterson said this, it collapsed like a house of cards. The difference being that, as we just read, and he put it so succinctly, the house that stands is because we have worked, if you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on the solid rock. If you work these words into your life, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 2, 12, verse 2 said it this way, we have renewed our minds to the things of God and therefore we have been changed, transformed. In other words, we don't act like the world. We don't panic when storms come into our life. We don't go to pieces when life is unpleasant or, or hard or, or downright dangerous. Because we have worked the word of God into our life we have conformed our thoughts and our words and, and our, our actions to the Word of God, to His grace and His presence, is paramount in our life. When you begin to work the Word of God into your life, His presence becomes paramount. And then we not only have His protection, but we have His blessings. We may get hit by storms, but they won't do us in. And they may create some damage, but our house won't fall. And I'm not just talking, when I'm talking about the Word of God, I'm not just talking about the Ten Commandments here. Do's and don'ts. I'm talking about a condition of the heart. When we understand that our life and our relationship with God is based upon faith in God, there's nothing you can do but have faith. When we understand, when we begin to understand that Christianity is based upon a relationship, not religion. A trust that we have in God and in His Word and that He's faithful to it. His promises. And we mold our life around those promises. That's when our life is built upon the rock. I remember a young couple... Many, many years ago, she was 110 pounds, had hair down the middle of her back, green eyes, and he was about 205 pounds, and he actually had dark hair and a lot of it. And she had con—I mean asked him to go to church with him. They had been married. There wasn't anything wrong with their marriage. They got along well. And so he said, I'll take you one time. You've heard me tell this story. And I went and sat in the back. Church wasn't much bigger than this. And I listened to what the guy said and I came home and I said, you know, if what that guy says is true, people that serve God have some guarantees that people who don't serve God don't have. Let's buy a Bible. I'll read it for six months. See what it says. And I was so impressed with God's wisdom and his love for mankind and his promises and and how faithful he was. When I began to do what he said about my marriage, my marriage got better. When I began to do what he said about my finances, my finances got better. Let me tell you something. The presence of the Lord will nullify the impact of the storms that descend upon us and our family. It's the presence of the Lord that calms the force of the storms. It's the presence of the Lord that will surround you and and protect you. The presence of the Lord is Jesus stepped in the boat and said, peace be still. It's the presence of the Lord that will bring the blessing of the Lord upon you. If you get a chance in Luke chapter 11, Jesus is teaching and a woman calls out from the congregation and says, "Uh, Blessed is the one that bore you and the breast which nursed you. And Jesus calls back to her and says, On the contrary, blessed and favored by God are those who hear the word of God and continually observe it as we work the Word of God into our life. Get a chance sometime. Read Psalm 112. The first three verses alone says, Shout in celebration of praise to the Lord. Everyone who loves the Lord and delights in Him will cherish His Word and be blessed beyond expectations. Their their descendants will be prosperous and and influential. And every generation. It's the presence of the Lord. That brings the blessing on our life. When everything around us says uh uh. It's the presence of the Lord that protects us. If you get a chance in 2 Kings. I'm thinking it's chapter 6. The Ark of the Covenant. Which God had had the children of Israel build, That went inside the tabernacle. That um. Um, who's that adventurer? Has had a couple of uh, movies. Uh, he, Indiana Jones. Yeah, Indiana Jones went working, looking for you know the Ark of the Covenant, and that represented the presence of the Lord. Let me tell you how strong the presence of the Lord is. One time, Israel's number one nemesis, the Philistines, captured the Ark. And they put it in the house of one of their members. And that house was blessed for month upon month upon month. Even the Philistines noticed. Wow, look at that guy. God's system for transforming our our lives and situations around us that we face doesn't begin with our behavior It works from the inside out. And as we begin to work His Word into our everyday life so that we believe, so that we begin to have faith in God and, and what He wants to do so that we're independent on Him and what He wants to do with our life and what He will do with our life, that's when our lives will change. You want that farm to succeed. You want that ranch to succeed. You want that business you run to flourish. You want that marriage to succeed in the midst of storms, of weather, of the economy, of bad grain prices, of cattle prices. You want our church to grow and you want young people to come and be a part of it. And you don't want the school to close and you don't want this town to die. Church, these are storms, they're real. And if we let it go, they'll affect our lives and our livelihood and our relationships with one another. And they can either do us in or we can come out on top. And if we're going to see change around us, if we want change in our life, we will need a solid foundation to build from. That foundation needs to be as we work the word of God in our life. If we're going to be solid Christians, we need a solid foundation to build from. And that foundation needs to be the word of God. Jesus tells us very explicitly, the only way that we're going to get that solid foundation is through knowing his word working it into our life on a day-by-day basis. You know, let me close with this. Talking about the Word of God and working it in our life. In Psalm 91, if you get a chance, there's seven things that God promises us there alone. He promises. us, Promises to deliver us from the storms that come into our life. He'll deliver us. The second thing is he'll show us favor. He'll show us his favor. The third thing is he'll answer you when you call on him. The fourth thing is he'll be with you in trouble and protect you. The fifth thing is he'll honor you. The sixth thing is he'll satisfy you with long life. And number seven is he'll show you his salvation. Church, listen, we're assailed by storms. If it's not the economy, it can be sickness or disease. It it can be finances. It can be relationships. But time and time again, Jesus would speak to the storms. You know how we stop them. We know how we cause them to be abated. Is when we take his word and it becomes more than, how is it he said it? If you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, instead we work them into our life on a daily basis. That's good news to know that God's on our side. Let's pray. Lord, these people back then were going through a transition from works to grace. And Lord, many times we need to transition too. We need to transition from, from once or twice a week. Spending time with you or only in an emergency to we need to transition to begin to work your word into our life, your promises, and realize that because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've given us the keys to the kingdom of heaven. There's nothing you would withhold from us. You've got everything. As the Apostle Peter said, you've got everything that pertains to our natural life down here and and our relationship with God. You've got it all and you've given it to us. Lord, help us this morning. We don't want our church to die. We don't want our school to die. We don't want our community to die. We don't want to go through another summer of drought or hail destroying cops or crops or bad prices instead Lord we don't want the storms to cause our our life to collapse like a house of cards we want to be able to stand and then point to you and say it's because of him and his word and we thank you in Jesus name Amen.